Welcome to the second podcast in the Fenris Wolf newsletter series. This second lecture is called Onwards to the Source and can be found in Fenris Wolf number 10. Fenris Wolf issue number 10. You can find more information about that in the text that's adjoining this recording. Onwards to the source. The first premise of magical anthropology is that magic is. Whatever magic is, according to a seemingly indefinite multitude of definitions, it always simply is. And wherever we look in and into time and space, there is that one fundamental phenomenon which seems more ingrained and integrated in the human psyche than anything else. Soundly embedded inside the survival instinct, the human being's relationship to magic has never really disappeared. It has, however, developed externally into different subforms like religion, philosophy, psychology, the natural sciences, etc. These various manifestations and developments are results of the increasing complexity of human structures, in which we could schematically say that the more we increase the distance from a literally natural habitat, the more our magic will drift from its natural source. What is this source? It is the link between the human mind and all other sentiences. Meaning, the roots of magic are embedded in the individual's connection to a holistic, intuitive, instinctual understanding of itself. When a human society deteriorates, this connection will seek new forms in order to survive. It is in many ways an inner reflection of the outer circumstances that continually dictate challenges for the human individuals and tribes alike. As we know, most of these human superstructures are ephemeral and wholly interchangeable, all empires collapse, all political systems crumble, all religions eventually find themselves too far from the source and then give in to reactive chaos that will end up becoming its own nemesis. Underneath the surface of human chaos lies the ever-pulsating life force itself, the will to live, which is biology, the will to structure life, which is science, and the will to enhance that life, which is culture. Regardless of whether magic is thematically present in language, culture, history, writing, etc., its fundaments are always present, more so in constructive phases than in destructive ones. But, then again, all of the motions and movements are mere counterpoints and reflections of each other. We simply cannot escape that all movements tell the same story, albeit 
in different chapters. Creativity, communication, cooperation, collaboration, community, conspiration, meaning literally breathing together, and careful contemplation are merely words beginning with a C. Here mainly chosen as an amplification of the essence of its sound, C. But they are also distinct phenomena and absolute building blocks within human life. When one or more is lacking, there will be disorder and imbalance. How to cope with this imbalance? Using traditionally magical skills, such as trust in inner abilities and visions, foresight, sympathetic logic, intuition in itself, also trusting the wisdom and insight that stems from a genuine communication, genuine here signifying stripped of ulterior motives, and then making manifestations of these wisdoms and insights external, and accessible through art and technology, and then structuring and passing on positive and negative deductions and conclusions for coming generations through language and further transtemporal art. These are just some examples of the basic view and approaches of fundamental magical anthropology. In each detour or deterioration, there will be many possibilities to research and evaluate instigations and results. This is the bedrock of each new balancing act. Magical anthropology states that the basis of human behavior stems from shamanism. It's inherent in the advanced human mind to constantly pose self-reflective questions. And it is only natural that these then spill over and take on proxy forms. The tribal shaman, the priest, the magician, the healer, etc. But the need to ask existential questions is a unique trait for all human individuals. And this is very much the key to the constant development of human intelligence. As the simple techniques and wisdoms of globally present shamanism have been pushed to the side in favor of organized religions and psychologies, the trust in proxies rather than in one's own conclusions have greatly increased. But this does not in any way decimate or diminish the original human needs. On the contrary, in our chaotic cultures and times of self-denial and mindless destruction of our own habitat, it is not surprising to see a necessary return to the roots. No matter how grasping and seemingly desperate the occult and the New Age communities are, they do seem to have a joint key message to change the perspective, to transform the oppression of too much destructive dogma into a liberating reconnection to something that is perhaps often naively described, yet genuinely felt on intuitive levels. 
If shamanism is the root of all human culture, then magic can be seen or described as a term for all the derivatives, as all branches of the tree of human life. I have chosen an atomic model to describe this, in which shamanism magic is like the uh, proton or the sun in a solar system, and the natural sciences, philosophy, myth, ritual, psychology, religion and art, etc., etc., all spin around this core in orbit, just like planets around the sun or electrons around a proton. It resembles a flower in some way, and that is deliberate on my part. Whether the movements of the individual phenomena leave aesthetic traces in the shapes of petals or leaves, or whether they are like planets revolving around the sun, they all signify a relationship that seems eternal. Whatever humans develop in terms of abstractions and systems, it is always connected to the magnetic pull of the source. Is deterioration then simply a matter of distance from the source, whether temporal or spatial? The answer is no. Deterioration in human culture comes when there is a consciously strategized negation of heritage, of the very roots. Time may pass, but the fundamental questions remain and always need to be answered. When a proxy structure becomes too enamored with itself and the power it wields, its capacity to genuinely help humans understand themselves automatically decreases rapidly, both in the small, individual, and in the big, communal pictures. The proxies will then also actively discourage any individual quests or adventures to find out more. In a similar way, space may pass by or in the human perspective. Human migration throughout history has led to many syncretistic mergers, and quite often healthily so. Just as the source is never static, just look at the vibrant sun as a metaphor of a central core that vitalizes an entire dynamic habitat. Neither should the derivatives be. Movement is crucial, but that is usually a matter of constructive shape-shifting and not necessarily one of movement away from the source. In order to survive, cultures have to adapt to both external and internal developments. If they stray too far from the magical interpretation of life, these cultures will die, or desperately take on new and more hopeful shapes. All sciences, philosophies and systems that help interpret, categorize and develop human life are subordinated the central phenomenon of magical anthropology. It is not possible to fully understand any human endeavor or phenomenon without first filtering this understanding through magical anthropology. How human beings relate to magic, and then again magic as the central and direct derivative of a shamanic understanding in both theory and practice. 
So how human beings relate to magic is indicative of both individual and overall human health, and possibly even of global health. Each individual human being inherently and instinctively understands this as a child, interpreting signals through an enchanted or ensouled filter. As this filter is usually and unfortunately ground down and removed, discouraged because of arbitrary cultural preferences, the child learns that the sense of wonder that he or she could notice when looking at the big picture with an open and uninhibited mind is, according to the peers, simply untrue. This, of course, creates an unhealthy imprint in the child to not not trust him or herself, nor the big picture, but instead rely on culturally imposed proxy interpretations. It is interesting to see how the power of myth transcends even these imposed boundaries. Parents happily tell the same fairy tales to their children that were once part of the cluster that they themselves had to abandon as they grew up. If myths aren't necessary to our survival, they simply wouldn't exist and still feel resoundingly relevant. Anything of mythic value is directly connected to the shamanic source and hence to our survival. Magical anthropology isn't necessarily the study of magic itself. That could today be regarded as belonging to the study of religions, as there are many similarities. Much of the organization of magic in history, in groups, orders, societies, fraternities, etc., runs more or less parallel to the formation of new religions, for instance. There is also very often a similar corruption within magical communities that eerily mimics that within religious religious ditto. It is the same phenomenon over and over again. When there is an individual dissociation from the source and its fundamental expression in shamanism, the looming structure or, or system will all too gladly usurp and integrate this individual in its far too often self-serving and draconian schemes. Magical anthropology focuses on the very link itself. Not merely on the corruption of it, of course, but also the study of pristine and healthy connections and expressions, such as in art or myth, that is conscious of and encouraging a re-docking to the source in individual lives. Although the study of corruption, deliberate or merely unconscious, is fascinating and quite often literally beyond belief, I believe that the study of positive beneficial manifestations of the attraction to the source as a survival strategy on both individual and communal levels is more important in this current phase of human existence. I understand that there may be scientists and other academics who have no desire to be subordinated to the authority of magical anthropology. Be that as it may, their position and attitude is neither here nor there. 
Why? Because the link to all intimate relationships between their specific fields of study and magic can be so easily explained. My schematic atomic model is the first altruistic attempt to make these people and, and potential critics see. Just like planets revolve around their own axes, and as they do around the central sun, so are the specific fields of study of religion, psychology, physics, mathematics, etc. Simultaneously their own entities, as well as parts of the universe of magic. To be specific, the magical phenomenon itself is concretely rooted in the human mind. The study and classification of the same phenomenon is a degree of abstraction. Regardless of whether they are concrete or abstract, all research systems are geared towards reaching the same moment, the ecstatic truth of revelation, preferably embedded in further revelatory contemplation or meditation. Transgression of the rational mind is the single most important key to this ecstatic truth. Cultural differences may apply, but the dynamic is always the same. Each piece of learning we can utilize today, together, stems from a single human mind working in magical ways, and then sharing the results with a community whether it's faith in the sun, in ancestors, or in statistics, as in empiricism, the process is exactly the same. There is speculation, desire, ritual, invocation, evocation, epiphany, declaration of intent, irrational states of mind provoked by the rational ditto, and then an ensuing methodology geared for validating the desired results, etc. We are no longer living in times when magical anthropology was regarded either as aggressively anathema or as a kooky pastime for privileged private scholars. Today, magical anthropology has taken center stage because of a cruel necessity that calls for an increased awareness about avenues of human survival. The specialized fields of study can all contribute parts to the totality of a solution, or several. But it is only by reappraising and reappreciating magic as the core activity or core mind frame of human existence that we can fully change things in a more life-affirming and life-enhancing way. We all know it's there, and we all know instinctively the creative power it wields. If humans won't wield that magical power to repair damages to their habitat, then that habitat will simply wield the same power to remove us. In the great scheme of things, however, this is not necessarily so terrifying. Any magician or shaman worth their salt knows that although the human shapes might disappear, the overall life force and sentience won't. It is just constantly evolving. One great definition of intelligence is the ability to evolve, to adapt to changes in life. If you're too inert, you will be left behind. 
But if you see not only the dangers, but also the possibilities, and realize that you need to change in order to survive, that will unleash a creativity within you that is decidedly magical and literally phenomenal. One main problem we face today is the overall lack of individuation and intelligence within monotheistic cultures. For some reason they refuse to be part of nature and to listen to its greater authority. Individuation and initiation should preferably take place inside nature, not on top of it. Magic philosophy from many different cultures and ages basically tells us this same story. We are not isolated units, but rather parts of one big organism. Many people reverently practice this wisdom via magic. Whether just in approaches and attitudes like magical thinking or in practice through distinct programmatic rituals alone or together with others, the presence of a holistic approach in which you can affect change to the whole as much as vice versa, simply because you are an active and integrated part of this same whole, is truly indicative of cultural health. If and when the phenomenon of magic is demonized or ostracized as merely an isolated curiosity, this is indicative of cultural malaise and disease. By childishly clinging to materialism and rabid monotheism, the most ardent critics of the holistic approach display a similar death drive uh, to historical figures like Nero and Hitler. The destruction of their emotionally compensative visions leads to a desire to destroy the entire world. Instead of realigning themselves and rejoining the life-affirming core, they decide to fully separate and counter-strike against the very core itself, always with tragic results for themselves and many fellow human beings. I strongly suggest and recommend that all students, teachers, scientists, researchers, etc. within the academic worlds of the natural sciences as well as of the humanities immediately adjust their work so that the quintessential question is contextualized within their own field. Magic is, but how is it relating to what I'm studying? The relationship between magic, magical philosophy, magical approaches, etc., and the human being's attempts to survive is as fixed and solid as anything has ever been and ever will be. The humanities have tried to express phenomena along the way, as the natural sciences have tried to classify them. All fields have their own unique languages and methods. But even here, within the area of strict methodology, we see magical approaches in the driver's seat. 
as the most ardent rationalists can usually be found within fields using the method of empiricism. It's important to allow them to understand that one needs to always continue to the roots. The origins of any empirical process or evaluation is the root called speculation. How many ideas that at first seemed kooky, crazy, heretical, and hocus-pocus eventually turned out to be solidly established and statistically reinforced? Quite a few. But although there are surely a lot of speculations that never made it to the lab to be tried out, we have to stick with a reverse perspective to fully explain this. All empirical successes are founded in irrational speculations, in inexplicable ideas or concepts that simply obsess the conceptualists uh, and then are given more and more credence as they are gradually validated by open-mindedness and an overall attitude of creativity. Each idea has its origins. It is only when empiricism becomes a rigid belief system, such as faith in statistics, that science becomes inert and destructive. And that's usually when these environments team up with financial systems and structures that are not altruistic in any way at all. When this happens, the original creative vision becomes a kind of diametrical demon. Meaning, the original purpose becomes corrupted in a topsy-turvy way. An example of this could be that a scientist makes a breakthrough in medicine, but the full potential of its healing process is shoved to the side in favor of a maximum profitability for the corporation that has acquired the patent from or funded the project for the scientist in question. The scientist should ask him or herself what the magic of the breakthrough could bring to people in different cultures, and the corporation should simply be the distributional matrix for an improvement of something that is not only life-affirming, but also potentially life-enhancing. In the sense that a good health allows for an even more present creativity, and hence more magic. There is an inherent danger in the face when the individual loses his or her direct communication with the source. When tribes grow too big, the need for proxies take hold. And these are so easily corruptible. The individual humans, even the decision makers within systems of corruption, will always maintain their magical thinking and approaches, but some will go against their own proto-morals because they have been coerced or somehow threatened by others who in a similar way have transgressed against their own proto-morals. These statements in no way suggest that there is an inherent political or financial system that is more or less magical. Politics is, or should be, just a way of structuring a society. The main thing is whether it, as a society or community, encourages the individual contact with the source. If it does, it will be a healthy society. If it doesn't, inertia and collapse are waiting just around the corner. 
it's not so much a revolution that's needed. Actually, the less dramatic reactivity there is, the better. But rather an increase in human individual awareness of how simple these relationships actually are. They are easier to grasp than people care to even assume. No doubt a reaction to the possible change in lifestyle that's required to implement the findings of the awareness. An increase in human individual awareness will lead to an increase in human collective awareness, and that will lead to communal leverage in the process of changing the big picture and its many problematic issues. So, how do we change these individual awareness perspectives? An exposure to nature itself is an important key, if even on the most miniature level. Indulge in nature, its beauty and its philosophy, and realize that this moment is crucial and magical in the most primordial sense as you look at something that has always been there that will always remain. The more of a hardline rationalist you are, the more you will need to short-circuit your simplified views and wires. A dramatic infusion of the opposite always brings generative creativity. The same is true of the reverse perspective. If you are basically comfortable in irrationality, mistaking that for magic or creativity, you probably need to dive deep into a fierce rationality and order. One key to natural awareness of this most magical kind is to allow yourself to see all the facets and perspectives at the same time. What you are regarding as something external is in fact something equally internal at exactly the same time. And because there is no real separation in the sense of tangible, measurable, quantifiable separation, you realize that the responsibility for everything all the time is principally yours. But the realization is not so daunting as it may sound to a logical, rational intellect. It is merely a peek into the endless possibilities and choices that have been there in each human destiny all along, from the past, so-called, and now into the future, so-called. The discipline of magical anthropology is important, not as a singular field of study, like some exotic morsel in the history of ideas or the history of religions. It is rather the all-encompassing umbrella for all sciences, as it asks the fundamental question based on the fundamental proto-scientific premise. If magic is, then what is it? The subordination of all other sciences is not based on value or hierarchy. It is merely a way of explaining that the awareness of yourself and your own honesty to yourself and your own place in the bigger picture is at least as important as what you will produce within structures that for the most part so far have proven to be nothing more than self-serving and profit-driven businesses. If you are a scientist, the truth is what should guide your work. And before that, 
if you are a fully sentient human being, magic is what should guide your life. Getting back to the source is what truly propels us all forwards. The source does what magic is as much as the source is what magic does. Thank you for listening to Onwards to the Source by Carl Abrahamson. This text has been published in the 10th issue of the Fenris Wolf, and you will find links in the adjoining text to this lecture. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to sign up for the Fenris Wolf uh, newsletter, which will keep you (coughs) abreast and uh, informed of what's going on with the Fenders World publication, further lectures, further podcasts, etc., etc. More information about this in the adjoining text to this podcast. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.